We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On the dawn of a new season, we are getting to find out the story of last season and answer everyone's question, can a heart and a brain really get along? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Welcome to our All or Nothing recap series. I will tell you that there will be spoilers. This is not spoiler-free. We're going to cover episodes one through three today, and we will discuss them uh, in some detail. So if you haven't finished them, I recommend you do. Uh, I will just tell you personally... I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Like I just am. I, lo- I love it. And I know there are people that when they announced that they were going to be doing this, some people thought, nah, it's not for me. Or, you know, it's it's just a money grab. And, and by the way, it may just be a money grab. It may be about brand building, whatever the reason it was created. I'm enjoying the fact that it exists. And I'm enjoying the fact that I get the chance to discuss it with Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hey, hello, hello. How you doing? Good. We the plan is to hopefully get some interviews um, with people in production that help make this show and and go into it a little bit. Um, I do want to praise Andrew Arsblog for his uh, appearance in the show. Now, look, I get branded as negative, but his appearance, Mikel's in the car driving <laughs> back from the Liverpool loss, and it's a clip of the audio of of Andrew saying, "I think you should pick your best team," and and I I think Kieran Tierney's in your best team. So I just want to say that when my negative part in All or Nothing comes up. Just remember, uh, I'm not alone here. We all went through the highs and lows of the season together. Okay, so Clive, let's start high level and then drill into it. Just at a high level, what are your thoughts on how they executed this and the extent to which so far you're enjoying it and gaining insight from it that maybe you didn't have before it existed? Right, so let's just go even higher level than that, right? So um, (laughs) I think we all look at sport in different ways. And so... I'll give you a couple of examples. First things first, I like this view into sport. I like this view into Arsenal Football Club. I'm here for it. I'm here to learn. I'm here to confirm. I'm here to learn new things, right? So, But the first time I saw something like this was probably in the late 90s, a documentary called Living with the Lions. And it was all about the Lions, British and Irish Lions, going to South Africa and 
it was a real insight into the dressing room, the tour, unbelievably successful video that went viral and rugby touring exploded from that moment onwards, right? So huge. Another insight, something quite recently, is called something called Drive to Survive on Netflix, all about Formula One. Again, a series over the season, a real insight, some things you like, something you don't. If you, I'm interested in Formula One, I loved it. The people I don't like in it, I hated that series. The people I do like in it, I love that series. You see what I mean? And yep. and that's it. So I'm okay with this. I really am generally okay. Um, if you're not okay, and if you're not exposed to certain parts of sport or football, some of this is new, and it can trigger things in you which are different to other people, and, and that's absolutely fine, right? Any single game me you watch, you walk away with something, I walk away with something, and, and that's that's the beauty of sport, right? So, But in a general point, Elliot, I love this type of analysis, and then I want to break it down and hopefully explain it with some sort of a articulate view to the listener, and then we go from there, right? Yeah, and I, I, I would say what's hard for me there are two parts to loving football, Arsenal, this whole thing that we're wrapped up in. Part one that I think everybody knows I connect to is analyzing it. Analyzing it, trying to understand tactics. Obviously, I learn a lot from you and the things I read and the you know the great people that put out interesting tactical articles and and trying to soak that up. And, and there's the data side of it. Can I understand the numbers, what they're telling me, watching the games, the wins and the losses, analyzing the lineups and the, the value of players and the transfers we're making in the squad building. The, the analysis side of it does appeal to me. Without it, I wouldn't love football as much, as silly as that sounds, because that may sound like the dry part. But there is the other component that, for me, is equally important, and maybe I don't communicate as much, and that's the passion the relationships, yeah. the love of the individuals involved, the connection. I I often talk about community, but it, it is really part of it. And without that, there's no football. And in fact, I would argue that as an American, that's the part that draws you into football because there's lots of good sport in America, but there's nothing like football, nothing like Arsenal for the community, the passion, the connection, the rivalry, the tribalism, and all of that. And this show is definitely geared to that aspect of football, right? And so as I watch it, I find that side of me really coming to life, those nerve centers, those pleasure centers really lighting up as I watch this. And the danger, right? And it makes you realize how hard it is to be a coach. You connect to certain players as you watch this and you start to like them more and you start to want to root for them. And that means you start to want to see them in the team or succeeding or staying at the club when really, Maybe they're not the right choice or they're not good enough. And it really makes you appreciate how hard it is when we criticize a coach for like, oh, you know, he's just picking the guys he likes or he's just, you know, going with the the players that listen. Well, as you watch this, you can understand why, right? And 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 it's funny because I'll give I'll compare and contrast two things. I think people know at this point that I really like Gabriel Martinelli. And Gabriel Martinelli right now has the position that maybe Emil Smith Rowe would like to have. And watching this series, you can't help but want Emil Smith-Rowe to be the guy, right? Because you just, you're so connected to him and you want to root for him and you see, I, I, I want him to succeed in the, the challenges. Then on the other side, you have Nuno Tavares. Nuno Tavares, a guy I like and I think has a lot of talent, 
But there's this impression of, well, Mikel probably doesn't like him. Does he have the personality? But you listen to him kind of like on the podcast he did at the end of last season. And he he's he's got a very endearing personality, an intelligence about him in the way he thinks about things and communicates about things and a clear-headedness that just, again, connects you to him. And Clive, football's about wins and losses. That's the job for the manager. But it's a sport that's still about people. And this show that's reminds you these are people and these people have feelings and personalities that we rarely see and rarely take into account. And the show has actually given me, I think, an extra layer to my appreciation of the people side of the game. Yeah, well, you know me for a while, and you know I always focus on the people side of the game, the yep. people side of the organization, how people behave, how people move, it's how people connect. In any job, anybody listening, any job you have, there's a name over the door, but all that counts are the people within that organization. It's the only thing that counts. And you've often heard me quote before, I've been fortunate enough to go to London Colony a couple of times, and I could not get over the family atmosphere inside, the trust. And it was such a family atmosphere. There are things I saw that I have never shared to this day, this was years ago, because why would you ever share things when you've been let inside of the family with people on the outside? That would be a misplace of trust. The trust and respect within that organization yeah. is top. Yeah. It needs to be. So when people step outside of that, I never have a problem with it. I never think about their last goal or their last pass. I think about the everyday working environment. And this is what this is about. We are fortunate to see match days. And Elliot, when you spoke about your data analysis side of things, it all comes from match days. That's the happy day. That's the day when they get to show off their wares. But what really is a club is what happens Monday to Friday, right? Inside, on a work day, in the office, when you're preparing, right? And um, so, and this was the insight I hoped to see, and we're seeing some of it, but not all of it. You know, and I'll come on to that a bit later, but not all of it. Okay. Pe- people relationships is really the most important thing in any club. Yeah, and and I think to to a quick point about well, I'll, I'll get to this later. So let's let's start to take this piece by piece. And early in the show, I think the the player that jumped out at me was Emil Smithrow, and the way the manager spoke about him. And the way the player spoke about himself, um, it, it strikes me that from the series, the belief in his talent is through the roof. And, you know, it's funny watching some of these games back and remembering some of the important goals he scored is, is a big reminder of that. But he, you know, Arteta did talk about when we sent him on loan, I didn't care how he played football. I didn't care That's what they said about his football. I just wanted to hear what they said about him as a person and his character. And and I'm curious how you responded to and reflect upon that aspect of Emil Smith Rowe's moment early in the series. And there was a part of me that wondered what were they was he saying, I want to know that he's got the seriousness, the professionalism, or was he saying, I want to know that he's got the strength of personality, that that he's got the maturity for the moment. Because Every time they, they speak about him and every time you watch the clips of him and the training clips and the clips of him as a little kid, the talent is through the roof. Yeah, it's never about – once you get to this level, mate, it's not about talent. It's about mentality. If you think about one word, really, 
pressure really how you deal with pressure and I'm sorry I've got so much to say I don't want to miss I don't want to miss up I think um, number one thing that came across to me in this was the the welfare of young men yeah these are extremely young men to my eye that did strike me right? too by the way that that yeah. is the galling thing you realize like these are kids these especially are in our club right now yeah. extremely young men and they need support the emotional and the technical support is what the level of it, the detail within it, and I and I, I guarantee you some things they can't show due to the confidentiality of data, for example, particularly when it comes to mental health. That that's something that they would seem as deemed as highly confidential and cannot be shared into a yeah. public environment. So there'll be things there that we're not, we just cannot see. But the care and attention to an individual's character, the detail of a character, and the reason why this is so important, because you need to be able to cope. You need to be able to throw away mistakes. Again, with Nuno, for example, his inability to throw away mistakes affected his ability to apply his talent. And I've been quite protective. And Carlos Cuesta talks to him about that. Right. Yeah. And he says, like, sometimes you're up here and sometimes you're here and sometimes you're down here. Mistakes are normal. You know, you need to throw them away. And then in his in his isolated interview, Tavares says, it's always the mistake I made in the game that stays with me. It's exactly. always the thing I think about. In my this is the human aspect. Right. So and for someone who's been who's involved with players today and who talks to people, that individual connection is a form of coaching. If you can't yeah. connect to somebody, you can't. For me, in my the way I coach, you can't you can't coach them, you can't develop them because you need to understand their barriers and to barriers to failure and what really drives them, and what can derail them. Right, so it's very important, and I've been a little bit protective of Nuno, not because I think he's Maldini, because there's a potential player in there that's at risk if we don't nurture him appropriately. And I look at people's feedback to my feedback about a player. I think they're so narrow-minded. You just talk about the last pass and the last cross and the last shot over the bar. What makes the person? What makes the person? What allows that person to apply his talent? How can you, we as fans, support those individuals? Particularly during yeah. a, a period in the season when there is no transfer window and they can't go anywhere. Do you see what I mean? And I think... It's it's at this level, Elliot, and it'll come. I'm going to say it again during this podcast. I know I will. At this level, there's a level of talent, but what really, really is key is your ability to apply your talent and how you're motivated to apply your talent. And I think this is what people need to understand. This is the one two percentile of motivation that gives you a twenty minute burst against Spurs when it counts, and that little yeah. f- bit of detail that drives those performance levels. I think people, I've got an insight into that. For those that are watching and looking and listening and trying to understand, I think they understand a little bit better this morning, this day, post the first three episodes. Yeah, well said. So l- let's get into um, let's get into Arteta for a minute. We'll come back to some players. Obviously, the sort of star of the show, the central figure is the manager. And Mm -hmm. and that's understandable. And we're learning some things about him, I think. I think we are learning some things. But the thing that I think is lost, so a lot of the focus on him in this first three episodes are the motivational talks that he gives. 
There's yeah. a couple other things, and we can get to them. And we'll get to the motivational talks in a minute. But as a result, I think there is a perception forming that's like, oh, he's a glorified motivational speaker. The thing people really need to try to keep in mind is, this is an entertainment program. This is not a football program. And what I mean by that is, they're not going to show us the 90-minute film session breaking down performances. They're not going to show us the tactical you know, whiteboarding of showing where players need to stand. They're not showing us the drills that focus on tactics or game-specific situations because that's not entertainment. So all we are seeing is the tactical, is the motivational side. But what's interesting is that Listen to what Arteta says, right? In all his ta- one of his motivational speeches at the end, he says, the rest you know. You know, today, th- th- yeah. just keep your emotion high. The rest you know. And you listen to Edu. Edu makes a comment. You know, he said, Arteta needed to connect with these players personally. He needed to win their hearts, not just their minds, because he's top tactically. And he yeah. said, this was after we started winning, after the three-game slide. Ar- Edu says, you know, Arteta's walking around the dining hall, and Edu's talking to... Not sure who he's talking to in that scene, but talking to someone, he's like, he seems more relaxed. You know, he seems more at ease. He's getting along with the players, more connecting more with them. And Adu says that's Steve what he Round. needed. He needed to, co- yeah, Steve Brown. And he says he needed to connect with them personally, win the hearts, not just the minds. And I thought that was a really interesting insight, Clyde, because one of the things that I've sort of wondered about, and a lot of us have, is, is, is Arteta, does Arteta get on with the players? How, how does Arteta do with the players no, personally? We know he he's got the tactical side, but what you can see here now is, that layer is there. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious with, with the Arteta stuff, let's get to the motivational speeches in a minute. Set that aside. Are there some insights that you're able to glean from this? One that stood out to me was the memorization drill, right? Memorizing yep. the numbers on the That's right and the numbers in. on the left to sort to brilliant. highlight the importance of having that sort of um, one brain. preternatural, yeah, preternatural understanding of where players are on the pitch without having to think about it, just knowing it. I thought that was really interesting. I was so pleased to see it, actually, because if you're going to speak about one brain, how do you apply those learnings? Yep. And I thought that was really, really good from what we saw. <clears throat> so let's go back to to the – well, let's just stay with his management style, shall we? Well, again, we only see – what do we see on match days? We see our favourites being dropped, our favourites not being played. Um, if you like said player, you don't see an explanation in the press as to why said player has been dropped – well, he's running it like, you know, like George Graham used to. He's like a Gaddafi. He's this. He's hard. He's this. He can't manage personalities because your favourite player's not playing. Well, I hope that's been rubbished, right? Because you can see how he connects to people. You can see that his whole coaching philosophy is driven by his connection to individuals. And then you apply your philosophy over the top of it, your tactical philosophy. Now, on the tactical side of things, some of that information will be proprietary data, right? That will be information that you can't see. That's something that's unique to us or how we apply tactics. And I can give people some insight to that if they would like, but I may be four or five years out of date, how players get information, how they get their data clips, how they get their player analysis, individual, how they get their opponent analysis. This all comes through to them. On their now they get it transdermally by a shot. They just get a microchip shot in their <laughs> arm. <and> it, <laughs> this, all, this all comes from, you know, phones, iPads. It comes through It comes through in a certain time period. Mm-hmm. There's a... There's a a room full of an analyst that gives them that information, and then they have separate sessions, which we saw a little bit of, right? One-to-one sessions, and you can see you can see the coach's role. So I thought that was brilliant. And then 
then people saying, oh, he's a motivational speaker. I'm thinking, mate, you don't walk into an exam five minutes before the exam or an hour before the exam and start revising, right? The work's already, the work's already been done and you just push the information out. And that's what's shown. So what we're seeing is the motivational piece. It's the last piece in the jigsaw to remind people what they've learned. Yeah. He says, he says during the week is the time for the tactics. And then in here right now is the time for the, it's the emotion and the energy that'll carry you the rest of the way. Exactly. You might have a little bit of a restate, you know, a little summary restate to remind people you're in the room. And then key points, maybe no more than three. I say that, that's what I've heard from various coaching courses. Mm -hmm. No more than three key points. But the details have already been given. They've already been studying it in their hotel rooms. And they come into the game day. It's all about, can we get this group to an even pitch to do what we need to do in the first 10 minutes or so, which is normally aggression, 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 then possession. And get your territory, get your aggression in, then get possession and start to do what we told you to do. Right, that's just giving a little brief summary because not every game's like that. But it's getting everyone to emotional pitch. I, I mentioned living with the Lions. For people who are too young for that, please go and check it out and look at some of those team talks and look at the, uh, gr- the passion and the motivation in those rooms, how people are bonded together to go out there in a much more physical, violent sport and deliver something, you know? And if you, and this this is, to me, the sport. I'm going I'm to tell you something earlier. I've coached for 30 years, and there is nothing like the electricity in a dressing room 15 minutes before kickoff. It's gold. It's a privileged place to be. It's gold. You have to work hard to be in there and to stay in those rooms and to be able to either apply your football talent or your knowledge to help a player apply his talent. You have to earn that right by your work and effort. And these guys have more than earned the right to be in that room. And when they're in that room, it's unique. It's not for us. It's for them. It's for their journey their journey through their academy years, through whatever they've done to get here, they are the 0.1, one in a hundred player, the 0.1 percentile that have reached this level. And when they're there, how can we expect them to be like us? How can we expect them to react like us? We're not ones going out there that if you miss a penalty, you're going to get critiqued by 30 million people. This is unique. This is different. And I, I really hope people open their minds up to the fact this is a unique elite environment and that needs different communication and different standards to what me and you have every single day. Yeah. And, and look, the series has to take a, a narrative perspective. This is a, this is an edited program. This is entertainment. It is a docu-series, but it is not a, just a candid view of the world. There's a narrative mm-hmm being written, which means the way they edit scenes together, the specific people and moments they choose to focus on are all driving towards the narrative they want to build. And so you have to keep in mind that you're being led to certain conclusions a little bit, right? I mean, they shot probably thousands of hours of footage to produce maybe, you know, five hours of content. So that's worth remembering. I want to get to the motivational techniques. And, and the speeches. Yeah. Look, we are all cynics now. We are a world full of cynics. And the internet does nothing quite so well as be cynical. 
Yeah. Social media is at its best when it comes to snark and cynicism. And I will admit that watching these motivational speeches from a distance, I find some of it a bit cringe, as the kids say. I do. Yeah. But I want to be clear about something. There are a lot of situations that only work if you're in them and do not work from a distance. Clive, if you're in a nightclub and you're drunk and the music is pounding and the lights are dim and you're moving your body, you think everything is sexy and fun as hell. If you watch a nightclub on mute, everybody looks ridiculous. I'll give you a better analogy. (laughs) Sex. When you have sex with your partner, you think you're sexy as hell and it feels great and you're doing amazing. And if you were watching yourself have sex, I assure you, you would have a very different thought on how you look and how it's going. And I think the dressing room before a game is like sex. If you're not in that emotional moment and that frisson and that energy and that, that electricity and you strip out all of that, then you just see a dude on a whiteboard drawing a heart and a brain holding hands. And it looks like ridiculous Pictionary. Like it does. So to me from a distance, it does. What I know is these players speak very highly of this manager. They fight for him. They seem to be motivated by him. Now, I do wonder, do the more senior players tune it out a bit? The other thing you got to remember is there are players in that dressing room who don't speak a lick of English. Gabriel's just looking at a picture trying to be like, is that a heart? Is that a brain? Because he doesn't speak English. So he has no idea what Mikel is saying, right? I don't think Gabriel he speaks does, English. He does, does now, but um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. A, a bit, okay. Um, well, you know, whether he's following all of it. So it's it's a really unique situation there because you do have different you know, language barriers and things like that. But it is ultimately the fact that you can't be a cynic and be a professional athlete. You can't. You have to be able to embrace the raw emotion and passion of that moment or you will fail. So while we are all able to sit back and be cynics and we should because it's fun sometimes. I am able to recognize it to me. Some of this comes across as cringe, but recognize in that moment, in that room, this could be absolutely firing these guys up. Right. And like, unfortunately the internet is going to do what the internet does meme the crap out of stuff. I, I think you have to let the internet have its fun but recognize that in the moment for the people participating, this is probably um, exactly what they need, you know? Yeah, and they're used to it, right? So, again, I've been close to Academy as an Academy parent, and I remember we went for a tour in Italy once, and we had every day was scheduled on a whiteboard. The schedule on a whiteboard. Then we go to team meetings, and all the details on a whiteboard. Then we go to team talks, and the details on a whiteboard. Then you have halftime team talks. And you have your three points. Then you have, it's just like, it's always written down. It's always written. Mm-hmm. This is normal. This is normal. Then right. you have your tactics board. It's always written. It's written. Points are written. This is just normal ways of working. Now, obviously, some of this is stylistic. If, you, if you've never seen it before, you might question someone's drawing skills. But by by writing it down, it stays in. Do you see what I mean? It stays in someone's head. It hasn't just come out like a story. And so it's just a style. So for me, I'm not bothered by it. It's just like, a, I'm, I'm actually quite interested by it. Right. So, uh, and it's very, very clear and simplistic. Right. So when he drew the graph on, on his emotional feelings and he was down the minus, I don't know what he actually wrote. But, um, no, I mean, the, the, I think Scott will tell you the data in that graph does not does not work out. The <laughs> x and the y axis are all off, so it's fine. But what he's saying is, I'm below zero, and you guys pick me up. Very simplistic. You guys pick me up at my lowest ebb, and I'm now 
empathizing with you. I'm sharing myself with you. I'm opening myself up with you. And because I've opened myself up with you, you're, we are now trusted. We have a connection. And I'm asking you, without actually asking you directly, can you give me a bit more of yourself now as I've given a bit more of myself to you? Do you see what I mean? And that yep. is just psychology, management, motivational techniques. And it, it feels very normal to me when you are under the pressure that these guys are under to produce results. Come on, guys, we're sitting here. We're recording this on a Friday, Elliot, before our first league game of the season. And in a pit of our stomachs, we're excited, but we're petrified that result can go the terrified. wrong way. Yeah, terrified. Absolutely petrified. And I don't how have to kick the ball today. <laughs> yeah, and we're not kicking yeah. the ball. So how do you think? How do you think they're feeling? Despite all the no, preparation, I mean, they probably like they want to throw up. <laughs> yeah, despite and in you, you will see that in some videos where people do yep. throw up. You know, in the dressing yep. rooms. So despite all the preparation from the ages of eight to get to this age group where they are they are still have concerns. So how do you manage those concerns? How do you make people feel it's okay to feel this way? But we will get yeah. through this together as a group. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the problem with judging motivational techniques is you can only know it if you're the person being motivated by it, if you're the target. And the only way you can judge it is if you think you see a reaction. Um and the only way most people are going to judge that is by the score. But ultimately, this is what's hard about analyzing football. Do I think Arteta did a good job preparing the club, the, the team for Liverpool away? Yep. Do I think he motivated them? Yep. Do I think we had any chance to win at Liverpool? I don't. Because I think they're a much, much, much better team than us. And so all of this stuff about personalities and preparation, you know what? Um, a third-tier English side could be motivated by the best motivator on planet earth who understands human emotion at a level only known by aliens go to the etihad and lose seven nil so the motivational stuff matters and it can give you the extra two percent but it can't give you the extra 51 percent clive and i think we have to try to keep that stuff in perspective yeah. too that this stuff is interesting as hell but it doesn't bridge every gap you can't look at this and say we would have finished third if his motivational techniques were better right this is <laughs> this stuff is at the margins it's still it's marginal gains the that's the word i was looking for it's exactly. marginal gains yep. right so on the liverpool one can i um, this is my little bit of analysis on this right so again he opened himself up and said this was the only time his lowest moment at, in football i love that yeah i love that and he mm -hmm. said i i gave up I gave up. And he remembered that. He's remembered that. And if I'm going to be honest, I've got to be honest and balanced. When I looked at how he tried to motivate the players for that game, I think a lot of it was based on his own personal experience. I think a lot of it is based on his love for the players and how he wanted to protect them. And he came up with a solution, which I don't agree with, actually, but it doesn't really matter what I agree with. Um, with the speakers, etc., because he was desperate mm. to make give them a chance to do better than he did when he gave up there and found it a bit daunting. And maybe we all react from our experiences in life. We could say maybe he maybe slightly overreacted based on where he was. And sometimes when you overreact, you did he did he make it too big for the players? Sorry. Well, yeah. it, it, I think he may have done, but also it's still too big for him. 
because on the sideline, he exploded in the first half. I think he felt very paternal and felt very protective on that day, overly so, maybe that whole week. And it manifested itself in the, at the, we were unfortunate to go 1-0 down. But after half time, we're not sure what was said, but they came out and we were broken for the first 20 minutes. We were broken. I remember that game. We were broken. And you can say to yourself, you know what? Maybe we tried too hard for this game. We were in good form. I think if we'd won that game, we'd have gone above Liverpool. I mean, that's where we were, right? So, we're, and, I, and that and that happens, right? That's an experience that's put in the bag. The three points were lost. You never thought it would anyway, Elliot. The three points were lost, but we've now got an experience how to approach Anfield. And, and strangely enough, we're the, one of the only teams to go there in the League Cup and not concede a goal, right? The next time we went there. So maybe we learned something from the league game approach, versus the Carling Cup semi-final approach, right? So, so again, everything's not linear. We're learning. We're learning from having this view. They are learning. And they are a very young management team and player pool. And that leapt out to me. It really leapt out. That's interesting. You know, and you get me thinking, does, does Arteta need to add a string to his bow motivationally in the sense that he seems very good at getting the players very high, very intense, does he need to add a string to his bow to bring that intensity down too? You know, there's the famous Ferguson speech, right, for Spurs where he goes, lads, it's Tottenham. And that's the whole speech, right? Yeah, Sometimes yeah. saying something like, guys, they, they're just footballers like you. They're just well-trained footballers. You're well-trained footballers and you can beat them. Let's go do it. Instead yeah. of getting them so high and the mystique of Anfield, and I played, you've never walked, you'll never walk alone on the speakers, and I've gotten the yeah. players so mythologized about this that actually now when they step out there, I've I've created more intensity for the situation when maybe that's a time to lessen the intensity with a lower speech, a lower level of preparation, a calmer preparation. You know, I know Arsene Wenger famously believed before the big games to try to keep the atmosphere calm, right? To really stick with routine, to not step outside of routine. Um, and, and maybe that's a string that Mikel can add to his bow. And we're, we're again, I'm operating on a very small sliver of information. Yeah, and we're going to do our sums. We're going to do, uh, we're going to do our additions, and we're going to go two plus two, and we're going to say, okay, why do this, why do that? 22. The fact we can have this conversation because of the new insights that we have, which I find which I think are excellent. Whether they're right or wrong, I think they're excellent. We can get a broader picture. And so when Fergie says, oh, it's Tottenham, uh, actually is, is Champions League Cup final, pre-Bayern Munich 99 team talk was, lads, Bayern Munich are not as good as Arsenal. Just go out there and beat them. Do you know what I mean? And that, and, but when you have got those top quality players in the prime of their careers... You can do that. That makes you look you like can, a genius. <laughs> yeah, you can do that, right? And plus, again, we don't see the previous week. What do we have at Arsenal? We have a, a new forming team, a young team, experiencing these environments for the first time, literally for the first time, some together, right? And so I think there is a level, if I want to be generalised and summarised based on what we've seen, it, it looks like... Um, a little bit of overparenting on occasions, but it comes from a good place. You're not overparenting 33-year-olds. You're overparenting a Nuno Tavares who's had 20 top-level games, who's 21. You're, you, and you, if you don't do that, what are you doing? You know, you're sitting down with Ben White and you're saying to him, I love the way you play, you're aggressive, you could be a leader in this defence. 
I hope you're telling that to Ben White. I hope you are, because I think he could be as well. And he needs that one-to-one time, that connection time that says to him what he's good at, because there's loads of people telling him what he's bad at. Do you see what I mean? And so, and that's what's out there. There are so many people telling you what you can't do, but within the confines of the club, you have to balance that out and make sure people understand what they can do, make sure they can do this in a consistent way based on the patterns and automatisms. I always get that word wrong. I don't know why I attempted to say <laughs> it. <laughs> and um, automatic movements to help take the stress away and help manage the pressure on yep. match day in particular. Yeah. Uh, I want to roll it back to to something else for a minute. And and I'll say this as a last thing on that, that aspect of Mikel. There's also a problem that sometimes when you see a piece of something, you assume you're seeing all of something. And Mikel talks a lot about, you know, when I spoke to Ramsdale on the phone, I knew he was the right guy. When I sent Emil Smith Rowe away to Huddersfield, I just wanted to hear about him as a guy. And Mikel talks a lot about wanting to understand the identity and personality and character of his players. And that can lead you to think, this guy's obsessed with character, not talent. But like, that that's just filling in the blanks with bias, right? Because at the end of the day, of course he cares about talent. I mean, look at the players he's brought in. Look at the players he uses versus doesn't use. And what do you think they do in training? They refine talent Well, that's my point. My point is just because you're not seeing something doesn't mean it's not present. I want to ask you about Josh Kroenke just for a minute. Um, Mm. He makes a, a, a lot of appearances early in the first three episodes. And there's a, a nice moment of him trying to, I think, pick up Mikel after those early disappointments. Um, yeah. My personal opinion is he's too he's too tall to be trusted. So <laughs> I'm just inherently uh, uneasy about that. And that's honestly that's how I feel about Paul now, having met him. So you know that that's a concern tall. as well. But but the Josh Kroenke stuff is interesting. Um, you know whether or not Stan is ultimately at the top of the pyramid, which he he clearly is. Josh is obviously more involved with the club and involved in a way that I don't think Stan ever has been. I mean, I don't think Stan ever wandered around the the dining hall, right? It's, you know, it's, it's Josh's it's Josh's club. Stan's the owner, but it's Josh's right. club. He's running the show, right? right? So, That's it. what are your sort of high level thoughts on how Josh comes across in in those moments, and in particular because look, he's under pressure too. At the end of the day. It's three losses, they're bad losses, it's no goals, it's a club in crisis, and there's calls you know, to sack the manager like there always is if you lose two or three games in football. And he's the guy who's going to make that decision eventually, you know, if, if he has to. He's the guy who made that decision with Emery. Seeing the confidence he had and the way he tries to pick up Mikel and the way he tries to keep a level of sort of calmness around it um, and, and be, be there in that moment, I'm, I'm just curious how you reacted to that. I... I was sort of surprised that he was as present as he was. You know, I I, I think yeah. that struck me. <clears throat> yeah, they, they made some changes post-Emery. I mean, Edu moved into the training ground. Tim Lewis is far more present around the training ground. There seems to be a much more supportive environment. And, you know, again, Josh, I'm learning about him. And one of the things I did, there's a podcast called, I think it's a Blue Wire podcast, actually, and called Road Tripping. And mm-hmm. and basically, they had an interview with him. Yeah, they did with um, Richard Jefferson and Ali Clifton. And I yep. used to, I'm a LeBron fan, so I, I watched their, that video, I watched that podcast before, listened to that podcast before. And I thought it's really interesting to see the dynamics with Josh with, amongst basketball people because he's a basketball guy, right? And then, and then Hink, the him explaining to them how different 
English football is. And I thought that was a, such an enlightening thing. And I don't think they had that understanding when they first got the club. I think they have it much more now. And I think that's apparent. And they have a manager that they, that they trust and who can upward manage. And I thought when Josh sat there, he sat there in front of Mikel Artea like a semi-experienced executive looking down at somebody that was struggling. And he and it looked like he was looking down at somebody who was, not say struggling, but vulnerable, shall we say, based on results. Arsenal Football Club sitting bottom of the league, zero points, zero goals, nine conceded. This is not a memory that any of us will forget. Any of us will forget it. And he just sat there and said, we roll on. And he just supported him. And at your lowest ebb, and we've all had moments in our lives where we've not felt tip-top, you never forget the people that stand next to you and support you at those moments. And I thought that was beautiful what he did there. Almost like didn't, the question didn't even come up. It's like, we keep, we go forward together. And I thought, and this is why Arteta said, after he said this, he said something, we all thought it was crazy. I've had the best two weeks of my football career. Remember that statement? Or the yep, best week yep. of my football career? Because you know what? Say it to the, to the team in this series. To, to the team. Because the players, they weren't having it. They were there for him. Their spirit was high. The support within the club was high. His coaches were around him. And, and he realized at his lowest moment, he wasn't alone. And I promise you from doing this thing at a lower level, when you lose, it is extremely lonely. It is extremely lonely. But when you win, you your back gets patted to death. Do you see what I mean? And, and I think he felt the support when he was at his lowest ebb. And, he won't forget that. And um, the club, the whole club responded thereafter, right, in a much more positive light. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting that the very end of his motivational speech right before the Norwich game, after the three-game losing streak, is he says, I'll take the shit for you, right? I'll, yeah. uh, that's my job. And I, yeah. I do think that that is a message that will resonate with players. I think players appreciate a manager that will eat the shit for the players, right? And and yeah. protect them. Because managers that throw their players under the bus in the media publicly don't last. Lampard. They don't last. Yeah. 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 Um though we've seen more more than more than a few. Um yeah. a, a couple of places I want to go here. One is to Kieran Tierney. A sort of side thing. He he's not a big part of it early on, but there's a really nice moment in his home talking about mental health and the struggles he had yeah. with it. I think again, just humanizing. Here's the thing. You're under immense pressure to keep your place, to succeed, to, to, you know, to appease the baying masses, to perform in front of millions of people, um, you know, every weekend. And you're doing it at 20 years old or 21 years old or 22 years old, living in many cases alone in a strange city outside of your country, away from everything you've ever known. You know, I... I moved to Paris when I was young and I lived there for about six months and I was terribly homesick. I loved it, but I struggled. And at the end I was desperate to come home. I missed my family. I missed my home. I just, you know, and, yeah. and I was at that time around the age, a lot of these players are trying to make their career and I wasn't having to perform at a peak level in front of millions of, you know, of, of insane fans. Um, knowing the the exultation or the vilification I faced every weekend, Clive, like 
it's one thing to do it if you're a London boy with your family right there. It's another thing to do it if, imagine, you know, you're Nuno and you're a kid and you're in a foreign country and they speak a different language and you're away from your family and they eat different foods and the weather is different and the culture of football is different. And I mean, it is, it is, uh, it can crush you. And I think Kieran Tierney sharing that vulnerability mentally was really powerful to the extent that you can understand him because sometimes his English is is not, uh, my, my wife has been watching the series with me and she's like, he seems so great, but I can't really make out what he's saying. I'm like, oh, I can't make out what you're saying most of the time. Your Minnesota accent, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So, so I'm curious what you thought about that vulnerability that Tierney shared because I think that's really important. The willingness to speak about mental health and the way that can help people who are struggling themselves. Yeah, I don't think he's. I think it's. It's not just him, right? Um, it's difficult. Yeah, talked about it. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard things. I, I wouldn't like to share some of the things. And I did hear rumors about Kirantini's um, situation. Um, they weren't mm. accurate, by the way, the rumors I heard. And this is far more accurate. And um, But it was along oh, yeah, the same lines. Yeah, it, it came here. And it was on, alongside the same lines. There were issues when he was trying to settle into Arsenal. And, and it can happen. It can happen. And again, back to the human aspect. Well, let me just remind you something, right? These are the ones that have made it. There are yep. hundreds and thousands of players that have been rejected. They haven't got to this point and have had the same burden, the same effort, the same, I'm going to focus on my football rather than my schoolwork and now I have no education and I'm out in the real world and I've got no support. You know, these are the lucky ones. These are the ones that have made it. These are the ones that have got the support. These are the ones, I, you know, a little thing that's came out to me, you know, when Aaron Ramsdale was signing and uh, the doctor spoke to him and said, I'm going to give you my number. You can just call me. Any issues with you, your partner or your family, you just call me and I'll sort it that out. That stood out, yep. That burden, is just lifted from him. He's got his own private health care, just lifted from him for all of his family members. Everything they are doing is allowing him to focus on the game of football. I think it's yeah. I think it's wonderful. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And it needs to be that way. Because they won't be able to deal with it. They won't be able to deal yeah. with it. When we're having a lot the way we analyze football, um, for those that listen to us know what we try to do. We 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 critique, but sometimes we critique with humor. And one of our sayings is it's just football, and we try to get perspective around it. Right? And we all have our favorites and we may be a bit harder on some than others etc but it's done in a respectful way it's not done in a vicious way in a way where we target people in a way to destroy them because they yes. are human beings and if i want to in and we will say Cedric's put a cross into the into the north bank or david louise is sitting on blackstock road rather than on the halfway line you know what i mean but i don't yep. need to kill him for it do you see what i mean uh, and it, and it, and I think, I think that's really important I think it's very important. I learned this from you, actually. You know, I learned it from you. We've always done this with humour because it's just football. It really is. And I I, I can't stress enough, these are just young men making their world. And these are the lucky ones that, that can no longer go to Sainsbury's without a hood up, that can no longer walk down the street, can no longer drive their car out of the stadium without people all over them. This, these are lucky ones, mate. These are lucky ones. That's what I'm going to say. 
I think it's critical. And I, it, it is hard because you watch this and it humanizes these players so much and it makes you want to root for them, which you should. But it makes you also want to pull your punches on the things that aren't good enough about them to not say the things that are critical because they seem so nice and so likable. And the reality mm. is none of this works if you can't be critical. None of yeah. this being a fan or being an analyst or being a podcaster or being a on social media. Like if the debate is just, and by the way, if you just want to clap them and love them and not hear anything but how they're the best, That's everyone can do football how they want to do football. That's everyone's prerogative. But this this only really works for me if the conversation is 360 degrees, if it, if it yeah. encompasses everything there is to be said. If you can't say, I see a problem here and I want to get into it, Fine. And I think you can't conflate that with the idiots who tag a player in a tweet to say they're terrible or getting their mentions on Instagram to say, I wish you'd fuck off out of my club. Like, and the problem, right, is you have the people that do that. And then people will come back to other people who are having level-headed disagreements and debates about players and say, see what you're causing. And like, no, I don't accept that. And I've never accepted that. I think everybody should be able to have a debate and discussion around football that involves both praise and critique yeah. as long as it is done in a way that is not meant to destroy. And you know what's funny? It's the same in our discord, right? What do I say? What do they say in any debate? Play the ball, not the man, right? In other words, debate the ideas, debate the the football, debate the the concepts. Don't, don't attack the character, the person, right? Yeah. So, so when yeah. we're talking football, and by the way, in some instances, you may have to attack the character, the person, because they may be displaying bad character. But what I mean is yeah. have a, have a discussion about these players that talks about what they can and can't do on the pitch or are or aren't doing on the pitch. And that's totally inbounds. But it is true that watching this series, it makes you want to root for them and love them. And that's a good thing because as a fan, when you want that, you feel closer to the team. And that's a good thing. I, I want to cover a couple more players, though. Can I just, um, just on, the, just on that, yeah. mm-hmm. before we get to yeah. players, because she said it makes you want to root for them and, and love them. And... I'm looking at the whole concept of sports documentaries and what sort of emotions it's driving in us. Uh, And it's in driving a a further layer of engagement, right? So this is our first response, right? I think the human side stood out to us. Was that fair? The human side stood out to us. The youthfulness of the group stood out to us. The exposure to some layers uh, stood out to us. But really... This whole concept of transparency into sporting organizations, for those with a more cynical edge than me, could be seen as a form of branding, growing the brand, growing the it sport. It is. Of course it is. You know, and, and that's, I can still love people, it, though. <laughs> yeah. And people who think that think that way first, that would be the, their primary emotion. And I have to respect that, too. I, I know that I'm a, a softie. I'm a people dude. Do you know what I mean? So I go straight to that. Right? I go straight to that, the development angle, the coaching angle, the human yep. angle. I would I would do that anyway, you know, regardless. And so there is another side. Some people say, Clive, it's just for money. We've got 10 mil, blah, blah, blah. And that gets us to play. People go where they want to go, right? But I do think yeah. there's a trend here regarding exposing sports in a way that grows the sport. And I think this, but this won't be the last one. And we've got the Hale M one coming soon. I can't wait to see that too. Yeah, I, I think um, we are awash in <laughs> profit-oriented aspects to sport every day. And we can choose to be cynical about it, but I don't see how you can choose to be cynical about that and still love the sport. So if you want to love the sport, 
you got to be able to connect with the other aspect of it. Do I think this yeah. is a a bold-faced branding exercise and profit-oriented decision by the club? Like, of course it is. If we had to pay Amazon to shoot this and it was only going to be seen by 10 people, <laughs> it wouldn't exist. But I can yeah. still enjoy it. So, like, two things can be true. Check the box, you know, tap Tick. the mug, whatever. Um, yeah. Look, Aaron Ramsdale is an interesting character in this yeah. series. And um, obviously getting to meet his parents is, is wonderful. And and one thing that struck me, I think they said, you know, without your parents, would you be here? And he said, absolutely not. No chance, not no way. No. It makes me realize how many kids don't come from a privileged background in sport, come from a single parent home, come from um, destitution or environments that are more challenged that don't have the love and the support that aren't stable environments for development and still have to make it. And I, I think it made me appreciate the character of some of these young men who Absolutely. don't have what Ramsdale has and still rise above it and succeed. And then what it does to them when they get to that position, what it does to them when they have money and fame and adul adoration, having had none of those things growing up, and we should really spare a thought for these footballers that we call flash or we call, you know, they don't, you know, they're, they're not, their priorities aren't right or they're not a good guy. And you ask yourself, you know, some of the stuff said about like a Raheem Sterling, for example, and then you think about what they had to overcome to get to this level versus yeah. someone like Ramsdale who has two loving parents who gave him every opportunity to succeed. And by the way, that doesn't mean Ramsdale hasn't done brilliantly. It's just the point that not everybody has that. And not everybody has a dad who wears a hat like his dad does. So I thought that yeah. that was interesting too. But Your dad's the thing about Ramsdale. I loved that, it. Yeah. Yeah. And like freaking out every time Ramsdale tries to play short, like when he he uh, you know switches it. feet, gets past the guy, plays short. The thing that struck me about Ramsdale he gets very, very high and very, very low in this series. We see him be sort of the most vocal and visible, demonstratively emotional player in the dressing room. You have to remind yourself, keepers are mental, right? Yeah. Our most famous keeper of the last 15 years, not ever, obviously, Siemens probably are our, our greatest, but our invincible keeper was known as Mad Yens, right? Like they are yeah. a little bit different. They're built different as the kids say. But I'm wondering if you think this could be an issue for Ramsdale, the extent to which he rides the highs really high and rides the lows really low. And if you're a player and you're coming back into the dressing room and he's sort of, you know, complaining, I mean, nearly in tears, conceding a goal in a 3-1 victory. Do you, do you think that that's an issue or is that just how keepers are wired or how some players are wired and it's it's all part of what makes them a, a unique breed? Yeah, it's not it's not kindergarten, right? He's come to us so he expected to be the number two goalkeeper for a year. He's got in and he's conceded a late goal in a 3-1 win. He wants to stay in. This is competition, right? Every time you concede, that's a, not a clean sheet against your name. These numbers matter. They really matter. And if I can drive my defense in any which way I can by letting them know this is not acceptable conceding late goals, that's going to make all our lives better. So if you want to just come in and say, oh, well, we won the game, lads, have a little bit of a sing-song, sweet Caroline, here we go. So guess what? The standards will fall, right? You've got to keep the standards high, and that's his way of doing it. And what we can all say, in comparison to Leno, who's a, also an excellent goalkeeper, what we do see with Ramsdale is a relationship between him and the back four. 
they're in this together. And that starts with how demonstrative he is on occasions, how he communicates with them when they make a good tackle. He's out there high-fiving with them, saying, yeah, keep it going, supporting them. So if I like that about him, and then I see this on the other side, I, I'll accept that too, right? That's that's a continuation of the standards we see him trying to set on the pitch. Um, I, I really like him. Again, he looks young to me. I really, I really like him. I, I really like his character and how it pervades over the dressing room and over people. His impact to So you other don't think people, that's an issue? You you don't think getting that frustrated no. or getting that upset or demonstrably no. mad at, at, at saying wouldn't rub the other players maybe the wrong way? No. Uh, the only issue is okay. when you start throwing it in your net, mate. That's the only issue that you have as a goalkeeper. When you start throwing it in your net and coming out and making the wrong decisions and getting sent off outside your box and doing that sort of thing, then we've got a problem. Then when you when you start shouting, then we can have a dis- that, another discussion earlier about that statement because I'll say, you know what, Ellie, you might have a point. Because in the end, it's about your it's about your output, your outcome, your performance on the key performance indicators as a goalkeeper. And at that moment in time, he was in tip-top form, right? Establishing himself as Arsenal's number one goalkeeper a year ahead of time. And it matters. And it matters. Again, back to your earlier statement. These guys are not like me and you. They're not normal, right? They're the point one percentile in that room getting paid a lot of money, the lucky ones, the privileged ones, right? So you don't get there being a Mr. Nice Guy, right? You just don't. Yeah, and I mean, it is an interesting thing to remember. This is a profession. And in the back of your mind, if you're 22 and you're on 60 grand a week, you're making a fortune. You're rich. But you're not rich forever. You're not generationally rich. You're not set for life. Not yet. And you know, one more clean sheet, one more save, one better pass that goes on to my statistics, and my next contract's 120 a week, and I'm generationally wealthy, and I'm flying on private jets, and I've got two houses, and my life is set up. And so not only do they have the pressure to perform and the crowd and the manager and the fan, you know, the, the global social media environment and the pressure of match day, they got the pressure to earn their money by the time they're 30 years old because that's the end of it. You know, after Not that, just for them, but for their families as well. For their whole, that, I know, to set your whole family mm. up. I get it. Yeah. So it is that pressure is, and imagine, I don't think I even thought about what I was going to earn until I was in my 30s. I just wanted to have a good life, a fun life, go and enjoy all the things life had to offer. Imagine by the time you're 30 being done with the best earning years of your life. That's it. You know, unless you're Matthew Flamini and you become like, uh, you know, I think um, biotech uh, billionaire, but but you, you get my point. That's that's an added pressure for a twenty-one year old, twenty-two year old. You know, it's incredible. Yeah, I, I often say I always use his phrase. I'm sure I've used it before on the podcast, but I see a footballer's career almost like dog years. Every year, yeah, they are worth yep. like like seven, right? So, so there's level of intensity on every match and every moment. Yeah, it's similar to the NFL season, the amount of games they have. It feels every game is an event. It feels so intense. And your career is short. So every moment is massive. Again, it's not normal, right? We don't live our lives like this. We know we're going to work till we're in our, in our 60 and 60 plus. They're done mid-30s, right? So every year is like a dog year. 
And so there's a level of intensity around that. If you're three to four years at a club, that's a lifetime. That's like 20 years at the same company. Do you see what I mean? And not many of us could say that, right? So it's 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 a different world. And I'm conscious as we are spending time looking at post an insight into this world that we massively admire them. We massively understand, well, we're understanding what they go through. But I don't want it to feel like we feel sorry for them. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just an insight into what they go through and we're trying That's to really articulate it. Because uh, someone's going to say, Clive, don't worry about them. They're on 120 grand a week. You know, what about, True. you know, we've got a cost of living crisis coming up right now and I can't afford to put money in my, in my, in my car at the moment. Do you see what I mean? Well, it's not about us being podcast, sorry so. for them. <laughs> we're talking yeah. about football, footballers, young men within the context of tens of millions of people analyzing their every move. Right. So, and that is a different context to the world by which most of us live. So I'm just conscious I want to yes. say that. And you don't get 120 grand a week to be patted on the back and told you're pretty and have everybody love you. It yeah, is a exactly. absolutely cutthroat dog eat dog world full of, of crazy fans who will say terrible shit. And you know what? That's part of why you get the money. If there wasn't the intensity of passion and interest, the brands wouldn't pay the sponsorship money, the TV companies wouldn't pay the TV contracts, and you'd be back working two jobs like footballers did in the 70s. The reason that you're making 120 a week is because it is an um, an absolute crucible that forges you or destroys you. So a couple more things. One is the Aubameyang situation. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, I kind of thought right from the start we would see signs of where this is going, that Obama Yang is a problem. And like, I have to admit, through three episodes, they've been trying to tease a little stuff. I get that they're building a narrative. They don't want to give away everything right away. But certainly in these three episodes, you don't see anything that suggests this is a problem guy or there's a problem with him. Now, I fully (laughs) acknowledge that could be because they're playing their cards close to the best, right? So that they can... Show those cards in episode four, or episode five, right? And 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 have it be a big reveal. But I got to admit, I he seems okay. He seems liked. He seems decent. You know, like it. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough because yeah. you watch this. I mean, the way he reacts to Stuart McFarlane, who we'll touch on in a moment. Like and 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 the the way he is with the group. We we loved Clive just like we love to build these guys up. We love to tear them down. And there's this argument that like Aubameyang is a villain, a Bond villain who tried to destroy our club with VO2 gas and we're just lucky we got him out of there before he killed everybody. And like, there's not even a hint of that at this point in the series. No, absolutely. And don't forget, he got a contract from the club while Arteta was there. And at that moment in time, he was exactly what we needed. And I sat on this podcast and said, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And I know you questioned it, but I was okay with it, right? I don't recall making but, my feelings known on the top. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm off to say it again. Yes, you did say it. And so basically, what, I'll tell you what I saw in this Aubameyang thing. So I, I, I genuinely like Aubameyang. I think he has a way of walking into a room, and he seems to have a consistent way of walking out of a room, right? And that's, I can say that now because it's happened a couple of times, right? So... But I have to say, when he, and this is this is not really top analysis, but I'm going to say it because that's what I feel. 
when I see him turn up in the gold Lamborghini Urus and the gold shorts and the gold shoes and the gold hat, and I saw him turn up in that, I looked around the screen. I looked around the car park, and I don't see anybody else with gold. And I don't see anybody else with that level of persona. And when somebody sticks out that much and is the captain of the team, sometimes if you're going through a culture change, the way to change a culture is to remove someone that has an extraordinary influence on the existing culture that you want to change. And I look at Aubameyang and think, you sit outside of the culture I know today, I think I know today, just a little bit. And you can see, to me, that he's different to how other people move, work, operate. He's an individualist. And I think, if I look at Martin Odegaard right now, if I said to you, which one do you think is more like an Arteta captain, Odegaard or Aubameyang? I don't think I have to wait too long for the answer. Right? I think Odegaard has organically become the leader of the club by how he's respected by everyone within it, by the way he moves and operates and works. And I think Aubameyang's standards and the way he moves and operates and works are different to the culture that the club wants to create. So regardless of it not being an incident, I can see it with my eyes from here. And that's my perception anyway. Do you, do you agree? What do you think? I slightly disagree in the sense that I agree completely with your analysis of how he fits into the group. That's not reason enough to kick a guy out of your club and send him. Oh no, but that's to be right? that's to be that's so, to be right, right. defined. That's to be, that's to be confirmed. That's all to be yeah, I'm right. not saying to. I'm just saying I'm see what we can see so far. What we can see so far, uh-huh. one to three, there's a little guy sticking out there on the edge that looks yes. different to the rest, right? But I will say this too. Something kind of struck me. First of all, the guy is a Rolls Royce athlete. You just get it from the way he moves and the way he his physique and his like even from the pitch level shots they show of him the way he's just a Rolls Royce footballer and yeah. he's past his best for sure but you got to have if if you want to get where Liverpool and City are if you want to get where Real Madrid are if you want to get back where Arsenal were you're going to have to have a superstar you're going to have to and once you have a superstar you're going to have to start to think about how the rules are a little different for superstars. And I see that in this series. It's very much a collective, and it needs to be. But to get to the absolute top of the game, you're going to have to start to create tears a little bit. And whether it was Michael Jordan at the Chicago Bulls or you know whether it was Thierry Henry at the Invincibles, I think the best coaches, you know, maybe it's Ferguson, maybe it's you know whoever you want, Pep or or Klopp or whoever it is, or Arteta. Um, you, a big, big part of this, and Adu hints at it. He has everything tactically it's going to take to get to the top of the game. He is top. Yeah. There is another layer to it you have to master, working with the people. And if we get to the next level where this project can bang. You're going to need that superstar, and maybe we have it, and maybe it's Pekayo Saka, and he's the perfect well, that's what, guy. This is what I was going to say. But, but, but hang on. Just, just one sec. Like, mm-hmm. At some point, you know, Phil Jackson was a, football co- uh, a basketball coach for the Chicago Bulls. 
didn't know a lick of tactics. He had Tex Winters was his tactics, guys. Did the triangle offense. You know what Phil Jackson did? He handed out reading materials. He was a Zen Buddhist, and he yeah. kept all these players together so that they could go win everything, six championships in eight it's years. People by the um, yeah. Arsene Wenger, I think, had a bit of that in him, too. Managing the people. Managing the people. And... And footballers, some of them are going to be bad dudes. Some of them are going to be flash. Some of them are going to be this, that, or the other thing. You got to manage all those types and and let them know that they're loved and they're part of the group and find the way to connect with them, even if they don't quite connect to the exact culture of what you've got. Because there's lots of ways you can be a good dude or a bad dude. And and it's not just about the car you drive. Granit Chaka shows up in like a smart car in one of the episodes and that's hilarious. But like that, that doesn't mean he's a good dude either. So um, like, do you see can what I, I'm saying? Come- that, that, you can't have a winning club and only have the nice guys who, you know, drive mid-level cars and wear mid-level boots and, 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 and all yeah. get along and are nice to each other. It's just not real reality. I don't think. Well, I think, it comes back to your definition of a superstar, right? Mm. So my definition of a superstar may be different to some people, right? So I'm looking at this first three episodes and I I, I quite like Bukaya Saka before <laughs> this, but my goodness, what a nice guy he is. I can't help but like him, right? He's just and, so um, level-headed. He's so great. That 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 uh, word game thing they did the with yeah, that they put just, the clip out of with Smith Rowe and stuff. It's, it's so cute. It's so great. It's just, it's, it's it, to me, he's a superstar. But uh, Elliot, you're a data guy. He's a superstar in almost every attacking metric we had last season. He was first in all of them. Carriers, carries into the box, passing into the box, top scorers. Almost every single one, apart from maybe chances create where Odegaard beat him. He was the guy. So he is a superstar on paper. He's a superstar in life. Now, he doesn't drive a gold Lamborghini, but he's a superstar to me. And to me, that I like that. Now, I have got no... By the way, I sat here and said, Aubameyang should be re-signed and he was going to get us the goals that we're going to get through. Something went wrong to be revealed. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that you have to have clones in the dressing room because the clones don't work, right? Character is required in a dressing room. And that's what they're building right now. They're building characters. They're building people that are self-motivated, self-managed, want to drive themselves. I look at Smith Rowe and you watch Smith Rowe's face when I think one of the coaches, I think it might have been Steve Brown, cr- criticized him slightly about his body position and winning the jewels. It was Albert actually winning the jewels. And he's and he's and he's digging him out a little bit. And you saw his face. And that's not somebody that's gonna forget that. The next time he goes out there, the next time he goes into the gym, he's picking up a five kgs extra, right? And he's doing his shoulders, he's doing his work. There's different ways to motivate the animal. There really is. And we have to be cognizant of this. Smith Rowe has, a, you know, things to do when it comes to jewels and physique and robustness. And I'm glad somebody at the club is highlighting it because we all want him to be the guy that makes our dreams and makes our lives happier. Do you see what I mean? We can't be sitting in there giving him cans of Fanta and say, go on, son, enjoy yourself. That's not going to work for us. It really isn't. You know, so I, I love the connection from not just the manager, but from that Carlos Cuesta, from Steve Brown, from Albert, all these guys, they're all driven to one goal, 
to improve and develop these men to be better, to enable them to be better. And they don't get it right all the time. I thought we win every single game. But last time I looked, no one does. Right? So, but I see a common goal to, to, to develop and improve. And I, I, I absolutely love it, mate. The only one, the only thing was the Anfield speakers. I didn't really like that, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> but, um, well, uh, that's the only yeah, thing that's not, made me they're feel not a all going to work. Yeah, let me feel a little bit, oh Look, man, do we need to do that? <laughs> I guarantee you, if you watch every single manager, the best and the worst, and you watched all their motivational approaches, some of it would look cringe, whether it's Pep yeah. or Klopp or Ancelotti or Arteta, and some of it would look brilliant. And you're, Can I say one last so thing, Elliot? You know that. what I'd say? Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mate, to cut you, because I'm in the groove. But No, 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 go, please. Mm-hmm. But do you remember when they did the um, rubbing of the hands at pre-Lester? And they went out that against Leicester. Weird. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've they seen, made fun of him after. Uh, this is where I was going. So I've seen rugby ones where they, they stand in a circle and they squeeze together and they squeeze together to make sure the bond is unbroken, etc. Squeeze on, squeeze on two. They squeeze on two like this. It's their room, right? It's not our room, right? They did their hands. And I could, I'm looking around the room and they rubbed their hands. And I loved the banter afterwards when Aubameyang called him out. And they're all cracking up laughing. You know why? Because mm-hmm. we got the win in the bag. Yeah. It's all about the marginal gains. We've got the win in the bag. Take it for what it is. If we lose, or uh, <laughs> some, there'll be no, nothing said until the next time we win. So we're not holding hands today, boss. Do you know what I mean, it, 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 yeah. mate, that's what dressing rooms that are like. That was a great They'll moment rip, where they did the two rip days you to off, pieces. Two days off, two days off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought Aubameyang was brilliant at that moment. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. I thought he really was the. I thought actually a bit of leadership. He's the one brave enough to take the Mickey out of the boss. I really liked that. I thought one of his highlight moments for me. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 I, I want to go back to one point though you made about like the personalities and, you know, not having the the gold Lamborghini or the gold boots or, you know, which is, this is an intense pressure environment. Mm -hmm. And especially the guys who have to go score the goals, put the ball in the back of the net. You're going to miss chances and people are going to boo you. You're going to miss a penalty at White Hart Lane that costs you top four. And then you got to still be able to go out there and win a golden boot the next season. And I think sometimes what it takes to be able to do that is to almost be a little larger than life. And I sometimes think these athletes that make them, yeah, so, so you know, sometimes a little bit of what Aubameyang has, where you create a mythology around yourself and you're a little larger than life, I think can actually help you shrug off the – like, fans want you to be miserable that you missed. Fans want you to be down in the dumps that you lost. But actually, these players need to be able to not be that way because they yeah. need to be able to go do it again. And have, they yeah. need to have the memory of a fruit fly. Every goal they scored, they need the memory of an elephant. And every chance they missed, they need the memory of a fruit fly. And and that takes a very special kind of character to have that. And that's why I think, you know, Thierry Henry, I mean, arrogance doesn't even begin to start. And I, you know, I love nobody. Like, I love Thierry Henry. Um, But you have to have that arrogance. You have to have it so that you can nutmeg someone, so that you can juggle the ball running down the pitch in a Premier League game, so that you can take it on the volley and spin and fire it in at Old Trafford and score one of the great goals in Premier League history because only arrogance will take you to those places. I mean, talent, but arrogance too. So yeah. just something about, I, I, I want to talk um, to, to oh, no, can I, can little can I, say, details. What, can mm-hmm. I just come Please. back on a little bit? I, I, yeah. I, I, really, I really agree with your point there. And I follow people like Benzema, and he's not a little flower neither in the background. He enjoys himself. He enjoys his life. And they're, like I say, they're, they're different to us. 
But another thing that came out for this for me, and I'm hoping that we finally realise this as fans, is that we are no longer the Invincibles. We are something else, and that's being shown to us. And that level of reset in some of our minds for people who grew up with that level of perfection, because that's really what it nearly was, right? Um, And I think it's been a struggle for some people. Now, I can say that statement now, because I think we're coming back, but we haven't been invisible for a long time in how we operate, our ownership issues, our our dual ownership issues, our, our money wastage, our coach changes, um, how Arthur Wenger exited. We haven't been this super club for a long time, and but we're trying to be something else right now. And this is a window into that. And I hope it maybe resets some people. To, okay, now I can see what we are, what we're doing. And I think then this is how we're doing it, And these are people that we are entrusting to do that for us. You know, I think that's really... An interesting insight, another way to look at it. Yeah, I, I agree with, <clears throat> with a lot of that. I, look, we could do a whole episode just on Bukayo Saka, but I, there's not much to say. He comes across great, likable, adorable, level-headed. <laughs> the the thing about, he's, <laughs> I love everything ends in bro. Bro, I have my hood on and my mask on. They were still waiting to take pictures, bro. Like, <laughs> it's funny, watch, it's interesting seeing a kid become a celebrity and just sit there with his buddies and not, not even comprehend it, but not yeah. seem overwhelmed by it. And so I don't I don't think we need to have a long conversation about Saka Clive, because there's no revelations here. It's everything you think. Great head Just on the shoulders. Just hope he signs, right? Just hope he signs yeah. because he's he's the heartbeat, right? Isn't he? He's the heartbeat. But but you really get, right, when he talks about the club, you really get that that was something that did stand out to me. You know, a lot of times I'm like, look, ultimately it all winds up being about money. And I do believe a lot of it winds up being about money, but when Saka talks about the club and you know what it means to him, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't see him going anywhere else. So I, I don't, we don't need a whole Saka conversation because I think everybody nope. comes away with the same conclusion there. The last thing I wanted to talk about two things. One, I think it's pretty interesting that they cover our signings. There's a lot on Nuno Tavares. There's a lot on yeah. Ramsdale. There's nothing on Ben White really. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is Ben White just super boring? Like, every time you see him, he's staring off into the middle distance. They so don't really interview him at all. I'm like, he was our star signing of the summer and he's not in it. And I'm just wondering, like, was he too busy with his Love Island filming? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, no, he's not in this series. What's what's up? Yeah, there's a few. We haven't got much on Sambi, Tommy Asu, neither, as well, have we? And, um, but yeah, yeah. Ben White, uh, I, I, again, yeah, at a point, there's lots of face shots. <laughs> Shall we say, <laughs> and uh, but to be revealed, I can. I I think there'll be something on him. I think there'll be something on Shaka. You can see that with his family. There's a little clip on that. I can see that coming up. But there's there's plenty of there's plenty of minutes left to be had. Shall we say? So let's not rush to those yeah. conclusions. Yeah, I mean, he may be the star of, of future episodes. So so that yeah. you just don't know where you're being led. Last last thought: um, the Stuart McFarlane thing before the North London Derby. I'm curious what you thought of that. I mean. Obviously, the emotion was clear. The players seemed to really respond to him, and and I I thought that was a really interesting moment. Yeah, well, he's uh, fixed around the club and has been for many, many years. I did actually get to meet him the other day when we went for a review of the stadium um, with Tim, mm-hmm. myself, and Andrew Allen, for example. And I did see him there briefly and just said hello, and, and he's just a fixture. And 
I thought that was I thought that was so genius. Um, whether it was done spontaneously, spontaneously or not, um, not sure, but it worked. And again, in the room, do you see the support staff in the room? How everybody's there, and it's like in the rooms that I'm in, it's just the starting eleven, you know, and the, and the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And but it's, do you see how many people? The masseuses were there, the photographers, everybody's there. You know, the analysts were there, and I and I, I love that. I really like that. It's a sense of togetherness. We're we're going to get this result together, and all these people in this room are supporting you. But you got to go and do this for them now. And by the way, on top of that, there's a, there's a group of fans out there that absolutely desperately want this. And when you do that first tackle, you let them have it. And when you score, you look into their faces and keeps you motivated. Marginal gains again, motivation, ability to run through pain barriers when you're tired and you can't just stop. How many of us play football, we get tired and we just stop? They can't stop. We're not having it. They can't stop. You know, how do they find the extra? They find it. They find it with these sort of techniques. I thought it was really good. And honestly, we saw on the original day when we beat Spurs and he was pointing towards him, we think, what's he on about here? And now it all ties together. So I, I was pleased to see that tie in earlier. I thought it was really nice. Um, can't feel yeah. but like that episode, right? That's episode two for those who haven't seen it yet. And it's one to rewatch. Even Paul might watch yeah. that five times. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I mean, I have to admit, that was one that I think I enjoyed the most. Just the, mm. the connection to the Derby, what it means, obviously getting that win, the lead up to it, the the way they reacted to it. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Brilliant. So look, there's more to come. Let's leave it there. Um, obviously, later today, depending on when you're listening to this, we will be playing Palace. It'll be an instant reaction after that. And gosh, the season is here. So get ready for it, everybody. But we'll continue to do these as the episodes come out. And hopefully you like them. And if you have some thoughts, which I know you will, on, on what we can uh, cover differently or change or go over, we'll do that. We'll also try to get some special guests on as I talked about. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith, Bachman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Palace Nil. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 